Welcome to Live the Fuel. Welcome to Live Welcome the Fuel. To Live the Fuel. Focusing on health, business, and lifestyle. And now your host, Scott Mulvaney. Hello, good day, and good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to another Live the Fuel show. So this evening, we're bringing on a new co-host for you. Uh, this lady has a lot of knowledge to share. I want to pick a little deeper into her brain because I got to meet her at MapCon. And for those of you who've been listening lately, we have just attended MapCon 2017 a few weeks ago, just outside of Philadelphia. It is the Mid-Atlantic Podcast Conference. And she was one of these speakers there who was sharing a lot of knowledge, which I started geeking out about because there's been casual conversations about me maybe considering a book one day, et cetera. Uh, but let's get into who she is. Uh, per, part of her core brands is one of them is called the LegalNurseBusiness.com, but then she has another uh, business uh, named after her name. Uh, and before I give you her name, I'm going to give you a little more about her, right? So she understands financial struggles. And this is part of the story that I want to get into today, but I'm not going to give away all the dirty secrets. It's powerful. She went from near bankruptcy twice to being a millionaire. She shares her inspiring story with others. She's a nurse entrepreneur, as I hinted at, who successfully sold her legal nurse consulting business and is now a ghostwriter, coaching, and author provider. So let's get into more about who she is. And again, as I hinted, her other website is her name, patire.com. Welcome to the show, Pat. Well, thank you so much, Scott. I'm very happy to be here talking to your audience today. Well, I'm excited because... I don't know where to begin. You've, you've worn a few hats, right? So I think for me and for our fired up listeners that listen to this show, I think it'd be exciting to kind of dig right into the whole bankruptcy thing and helping you and your husband kind of rebuild. And, and this is way before you created these entrepreneurial pursuits. I actually should say you had other entrepreneurial suits in those days. So let's dive back into that. Let's freshen that up because Real quick, obviously, I remember part of the story. It was centered around welding, right? It was. Okay. Um, our first time when we almost ran out of money was when I was in graduate school and my husband was unemployed trying to put together a financial package so he could buy a welding company. Okay. And we got down to the point where I graduated from my master's program and we literally had $200 left in the bank. Wow. At that point... Um, I was invited to take part in a conference in Beverly Hills to present a paper for the work that I had done in graduate school, and I had no money to go. This is the part of the story that I didn't share with you. I don't remember this part. So I, I got invited to go there, but I didn't have money for a plane ticket. I didn't have money for a hotel room. I had this, we had this $200. So one of my professors at, at University of Pennsylvania said, go ask the dean of the school to see if she'll give you some money. And I said, well, you know, she's, hmm. she's up on this pedestal. She's this famous person. I'm going to walk in her office and say, please give me some money. So yeah, I would said, say I'd be a little pulled back. <laughs> <laughs> so she said, well, you know, she loves it when the students in the school get exposure and publicity, go and offer to make some phone calls in California while you're out there presenting your paper and see if she'll fund you. So I walked into the dean's office. It felt like it was as big as a football field. It was very nerve wracking. 
And I sat down and I explained to her that I needed money and why I needed it and what I would do in exchange. And she said, okay, I agree. You do what you have promised to do and I'll give you a check for $500. So on that promise, I was able to get a, a, um, a ticket, which I didn't have to pay for right away on the plane. And then I was able to get a hotel room and give my presentation and make my phone calls to alumni in the Los Angeles area where I was presenting. And then she was good for her word and gave me the money when I came back. So it, it taught me when you really are looking for something that is going to help you a lot, take a risk. Because the worst thing she could have said to me was no. And instead, she sat there with a sort of amused smile on her face and said, sure, Pat, University of Pennsylvania will support you. No problem. Wow. And when was this? I mean, how far back are we talking? That was 1979. Okay. And within a week after graduating, I was in my new job. I started earning money again. And then a year later, my husband now had the funding through the Minority Small Business Administration because he's from India. So he qualified as a minority. We signed a personal guarantee, which for those listeners who don't know what that means is a document that lenders want you to sign to show you are really serious about making this business a success and everything that you own, you're putting on the line saying, if this business fails, come on lenders, you can take everything that we have. And what's scary is I've listened to other financial and business podcasts and read lots of very successful authors and books in that sector. And most of these people nowadays will tell you, do not do that. <laughs> but obviously, mm -hmm. we don't know these things until someone tells us these things. True. And I don't know that they would have given us the money if we hadn't signed that. Hmm. It was in 1980 when the interest rate was 22%. I know. When you told me that figure, it blew my mind. It, yeah, it, it's inconceivable now we've had such a low interest rate for a long time, but my husband's loan repayment rate was two points over the interest rate. So 24% a month interest was required to repay the lenders. And that number was not workable in terms of the sales that he was getting out of his company. So we, crazy. Really, we were doomed to not be able to succeed. Although we had no idea at the time. But did you feel that? I mean, admittedly, as new entrepreneurs, it's like, okay, well, we're excited. We got a loan. We've kicked off our American dream. You know, we're, we have our own business. Yeah, we have a high interest rate. But did it feel like, wow, I'll never be able to get out, get out from underneath of this interest rate? Or did you guys actually feel like you had a chance? I, I am sure that we felt that we had a chance. You know, you have a lot of dreams when you start a business. In hindsight, there were so many things that were clear, like we needed more equity and not so much debt. But it was something that my husband really wanted to do. And I had my paycheck from the hospital during this entire time. So we were having enough money to be able to pay our bills. Hmm. Being an entrepreneur, the reality of this was that he was at this welding company seven days a week. We had a a child who was under the age of five, who really didn't see much of his father. And it was a really 
hard working long hours that in the end turned out to be nothing except for this pile of debt. So when he decided I can't run this business anymore after five years, it was time then to say, okay, what do we do about this personal guarantee and all the money that we borrowed, the million dollars that we borrowed, we don't have that to be able to repay it. And all we don't all you, I mean, if a business was run properly, the only thing you pretty much are falling back on most likely is going to be the equity, right? In the business, the property, the equipment, et cetera, right? Yes. Yes. There was a building involved. There was manufacturing equipment. There were lathes and milling machines. So those could be sold. And what he did was negotiate with the lenders and say, if I get you back 10 cents on the dollar, will you release me from this debt? Hmm. So the, the lender came into our house, sent a representative from the company to look at our house to determine whether it was worth taking as part of that personal guarantee phrase that I told you about. Scary. And at the time I was, I think five months pregnant and envisioning delivering my second son in, you know, putting him in a cardboard box and us living on the street. But the lender took pity on us and decided not to take the house and we were able to negotiate my husband's a very good negotiator that, <laughs> that they would let us off the hook for the amount that was agreed upon. So he sold the building, he sold all the equipment and everybody finally walked away and said, okay, you know, you're done. Your obligation is over. So we did not have to declare bankruptcy either when I was, we were running out of money when I was finishing graduate school or as a relation, as it relates to this particular business. I mean, that's, I, I can't even imagine what it must have been going through his mind, but what, what really both your minds back then, because you, you were giving up an income stream, right? I mean, did you guys have any other fail safe plans to fall back on besides you, what you were starting to build yourself? No, we didn't have any other plans. Uh, we had borrowed $10,000 from my mother to help start the company. And when she saw the business failing, she called us up and said, I want my $10,000 back, which was also at a low point for us, uh, wondering if we were going to be able to survive financially. But hmm. she was concerned about her own security. And I understood it after I got through my emotional reaction to that particular request. So my nursing background was really the security that we had. And then ironically, my husband's business was being a sales rep. So he basically ran his business out of our house for the next several years hmm. and didn't need a building and didn't need the welding equipment and didn't need the employees and didn't need the break-ins. Another aspect of running your business when you have a company in an urban area is that you get phone calls in the middle of the night from the security company that says, Mr. Iyer, your building has been broken into. Or one time we got a call that said, Mr. Iyer, your business is on fire. Wow. Somebody in the neighborhood decided to burn down a wooden door to get into the plant the day before Thanksgiving. And a train going by saw the door on fire and called the local police and the firemen. So that's the aspect of having a physical building that you never really think about is 
you've got this responsibility for this business and this building 24 hours a day. And if it's in a poor urban area, which is where this was located, there were people who figured out how to get into the building and steal things and mm -hmm. throw papers out of the filing cabinets and take tools and, you know, just malicious things that were going on. That's scary. I mean, it's basically you're questioning your own security. Mm-hmm. Luckily, no one was ever in the building when the break-ins took place, but there's a real sense of violation to know that somebody's been in your office space stealing a camera that my father gave my husband or throwing papers out of the filing cabinets, which take hours to put back in place. It's very unpleasant. Well, so let's let's fast forward. I mean, not to skip over this because, gosh, that's just crazy. But clearly, major life shift. Um, he found the power of reducing some of the overhead. You know, the the having the freedom to run the business, his business out of the house. Were you also at that time starting to build the nursing independence and entrepreneurship mindset behind your knowledge, or was that still early in the game? Were you still just doing the nursing? I continued to do the nursing. He, he shut down his business in 1985. Hmm. I started my business in 1987. Okay. From two filing cabinets and a board that bridged the filing cabinets. That was my first desk. And I made a decision as a result of what we had gone through that I would not borrow any money. As I told you when I met you, if I couldn't afford it, I didn't buy it. So I started my business as an expert witness and then continued to, to do some teaching, to do some writing, a lot of entrepreneurial things as I built up my expert witness experience. Hmm. And then one day an attorney asked me to review a case that I was not qualified to review. It was an emergency room case. That was not my background. So I connected him with a colleague who was a very well-qualified emergency room expert, put the two of them together, and then the light bulb went off over my head. And I said, well, she's going to bill him directly. If he wins the case, he's going to make money. I just did both of them a wonderful favor, but I don't make any money out of this arrangement. So with that insight, I realized that I could supply expert witnesses to attorneys I could bill for their services, hmm. I could mark up their hourly rate, and I could make money for every hour that they were billing. Yes, because you'd become a, an outsourcer to them. You're, you're providing a service, Yes, which exactly. they bill back to their clients. Exactly. Hmm. Exactly. Well, it's interesting because even my own fiance, she's a uh, equine vet for horses, and she's a doctor of chiropractic for animals. And she's actually been brought in and consulted on a couple of cases already uh, in the mm -hmm. past year. And obviously not to the level you're involved with, but she, she was brought in to consult on a write-up and then she was brought in just to give her professional feedback in a certain case that was being legally battled or whether or not mm -hmm. another vet had, you know, made a mistake or whatever. So sure. it's, it's interesting. I, I, it's all of a sudden, boom, it just connected with what you're talking mm -hmm. about with what she did. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there are cases involving veterinary medicine that can be very uh, high dollar value. Think about what would happen if a racehorse ended up lame as a result of malpractice by a vet and how much money that case could be worth. I didn't work on vet cases. I worked on nursing cases where there were, 
you know, injuries that ended up paralyzing people or, or um, killing them, or of course, less dramatic outcomes as well. And then we also worked on medical malpractice cases involving physicians and physical therapists. So all of that accumulated to the point that when I sold the company in 2015, we had billed more than a million dollars a year for the last five years that I owned the company. Wow. And there was a lot of owner benefit in associated with those billings. Big change from your husband's business and the struggles that you guys had to endure to get to that point. Yeah, it was a big change, but I think Scott, you learn from your experiences if you're paying attention and you're awake. And for my husband being able to take his skills and put them in a situation with much less risk was important. He also became interested in the stock market and developed expertise in puts and calls and options, which are fairly sophisticated methods of earning money. And with my business and with his stock market activities, that has enabled us to build wealth that we didn't have before when we were struggling in the 80s and in the 90s. So that five years you're referring to, I'm going to share my screen here. Um, it, it, that entire five years was under this brand, your legalnursebusiness.com? The company that I had uh, when I was offering the expert witness services and legal nurse consulting services was MedLeague Support Services. Oh, okay. And that's the company that I sold in 2015. Gotcha. So and, and unless you have an NDA you signed, I mean, who buys something like that? Was that, I, I mean, it's, it's, I always like to hear some of these little nicks and crannies in the entrepreneurial world. Like, were you planning on buying it or did somebody approach you and was it a private buyout or was it like, you know, like a legal company wanted to buy it and have the rights to it? I mean, I don't know. We tried on our own for about three or four years to sell the company and we found quite a few legal nurse consultants who wanted to buy it but they didn't have the money. Sure. They had the interest, but not the money. And we didn't have the expertise to be able to say to them, we'll go to SBA and this is what you need to do, a small business administration. So finally, a year before we sold it, we approached a business broker who had done mailings. Another interesting point in this, Scott, was that he had mailed us maybe twice a year. Hey, if you ever think about starting uh, selling your business. Here I am. And my husband filed his letters away. I threw them out. And then my husband pulled the letter out and said, you know, I think we ought to talk to this guy. So we interviewed him and another business broker. The first business broker, not this guy that we went with, said, um, what my terms are is that I take a, um, I take 20% of the fee if you sell the company and you pay me $1,000 a month as long as it takes for me to sell the company. And I sell about 50 to 60% of the companies that I take on. Okay. The broker that we went with said, you give me 10% of the fee and I sell 90% of the companies that I take on and you don't have to pay me anything on a monthly basis. Oh, I like that. So we did too. Yeah. So I, we, we said, okay, you know, you're on. And then he did a great deal of work in terms of going through the financials, putting 
the material together for prospects. And then once we settled on a buyer, we had several offers. Uh, the first two or three fell through. We were also very clear on our terms that we wanted an outright purchase. We didn't want an earn out, which you may have talked about on the this show, Scott, of basically it's, it's high risk for the owner, which essentially in my limited understanding meant we'll take your business over and if we do well, you get paid. And if we don't do well, you don't get paid. Yeah, some people are drawn to that because they feel they still get a piece of it, even if they're not involved. Uh, but to your point, you really lose control and hopefully they're actually you know giving you proper reporting and they're not hiding numbers and money and everything else. So sometimes it might be best it's just to walk away. Yes, yes. We were more on the suspicious side about the hiding and the manipulating of the numbers. Hmm. So we took an outright purchase. And uh, I always thought that the company would be sold to a legal nurse consultant, an attorney, a doctor. But the business broker explained to me that the people who are buying businesses are more in the range of people coming out of corporate who have 401k money, Mm. who are excellent business managers, but might not have technical expertise. So they can run the business and then bring in those legal nurse experts to basically build a team behind the brand. Yes. Nice. Yes. And that's what happened. Those are the people who are out looking for businesses. We're just the profile that he explained to us. Wow. So then obviously after all of that, is that when you launched Legal Nurse Business then? Because you already had all this expertise and you have this knowledge? Because this is obviously yes. a separate brand. Yes, this is the brand. This is the after version of me. After selling the company, I provide education for legal nurse consultants and coaching services. And then the other piece is that I'm a ghostwriter and an author, as you mentioned earlier. So I work with people who are not legal nurse consultants, but have expertise and really are looking for somebody to help them translate that into books. So when you became the ghostwriter, did it come from all of this just because you dealt with so much legal stuff? And usually when I consider legal stuff, pardon the term, you know, it's uh, it's a lot of paperwork. <laughs> so I was just wondering, were you, just, were you just that immersed into reading and documentation and paperwork that it just was a natural transition? I've been writing for publications since 1980. Hmm. And that includes books, articles, chapters, case studies, online courses, all told. I've either written or edited over 800 of those entities. So I've always enjoyed writing and I've always found it came easy to me. Hmm. And then a friend of mine asked me to help him write a book on body language and negotiation. That was my first experience ghostwriting. And now I'm working on several other projects. And I enjoy it. I find that I'm able to talk to another person, develop some interview questions and help organize the information in a way that would make sense to a reader. Because usually you're too close to your material to be able to really figure out how to organize it well. True. So, I mean, and it's interesting because I was always wondering about that and, and um, I'm just going to stop sharing the site for now and go right back to you. Uh, so again, to our listeners, guys, we, we always have a YouTube feed. You guys can, it'll be linked in the blog article on livethefuel.com, but you guys will be able to see some of the site sharing or just go to the website. <laughs> um, as we, and again, all this is linked in the show notes. So did you find that Getting into book, uh, this ghost writing thing, which is really, let's be honest with you, I was really intrigued by the entrepreneurial struggles 
the losing millions, rebuilding millions, then you creating a company, selling a company. Now you've got multiple brands, multiple sites. Um, it's been a hell of a journey. You have a lot of life experience to share with people. So I could definitely see that if I was in a legal nurse business realm or that side of things, or even people who are listening to this right now, it's like, wow, I never even thought about that. Clearly, I'm sure your coaching is quite knowledgeable. <laughs> uh, but with the ghostwriting thing, I, I get it. Like you said, it's sometimes people are missing things. They don't know how to structure it, organize it, and like maybe take content. Like you were hinting at, I might literally probably have a book already in my podcast episodes because I've already published over 111 episodes already. So there's probably chunks and pieces spread throughout all of that. Mm-hmm. So, But there's another side of this. Like, How do you write it? Like, do you just automatically know to adapt to whatever target audience that I may want? Or is that part of your consulting too, where it's like, oh, well, listen, here's the content that I found. This is how I would structure it. And oh, by the way, this is uh, probably the audience you might be able to get to that because there's almost a marketing piece to that too. Do you get involved with that at all or no? I get involved in helping the author determine who is the target market because I think that drives everything. Hmm. You know, in your instance, for example, you have three topics that you cover in a podcast. As I understand it, you might want to aggregate, collect the podcast transcripts for one of those segments and say, this is the business content, for example, and we're going to focus on business owners. And then what are the shows that really hone in on that audience? Or we're going to focus on health, which I know is another area that you address. What are the pieces that people find most interesting about health? What are the parts that really are challenges for people? Right. Like dietary uh, ideas. Like we've, we've talked about different lifestyles like paleo and, and, uh, and ketogenic lifestyles and NSNG, no sugar, no grains. Like there's been so much jargon tossed out there. So I'm sure mm-hmm. there's definitely plenty of car, you know content on that. And I've even had a guy on here that lost 200 pounds. So discussing weight loss and, 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 and it's mm-hmm. pow- powerful stories actually. Mm-hmm. So I, I see your point that, yeah, I mean, I, I've even, after meeting you, I've, I've, I've put it on my board, a to-do list here. I've actually, hold on a second. I wonder if you can actually see that. Let me move the camera. Can you see these three circles here where I'm pointing? I see where you're pointing. Well, anyway, I I drew three circles because a possible website redesign is I might want to chunk out all the content into health, business, and lifestyle. And like, okay, well, when people come to the site right now, it's just all the episodes go in order and that's the history. But I'm like, okay, what if we find a way to aggregate it and say, hey, you know what? Out of all these episodes, these were... We talked about all three maybe in these episodes, but maybe it leaned more heavily to a business demographic versus a health demographic versus mm-hmm. a lifestyle. So mm-hmm. yeah, you inspired some thoughts in my head. So, Terrific. Um, but admittedly, most of my ideas were presented in the beginning about a book concept was people, multiple people have messaged me since launching the show or just people follow me on social media and like, you know, it'd be cool to hear the story about the whole transition into wildland firefighting and back again. And just that lifestyle from like, you know, farm kid to big business world to farm to firefighting guy to back to more entrepreneurial, you know, focused efforts. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. absolutely. Uh, so that's where I was like, you were saying, you know, Scott, that content might be hiding in those episodes and you have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> and I know we've talked randomly about firefighting. It's, it's obviously, it's a part of who I am. So I know it's scattered across plenty of episodes. So. 
But that's interesting. Like, is there a lot of people who do what you do, like who have figured that out, or is it a specialty? I think ghostwriters are behind a lot of books by famous people, but we don't realize because they're a hidden population. There may be people who will put the name of the ghostwriter on the cover, like on the book that I did on body language and negotiation. Mm -hmm. So it says Greg Williams with Pat Iyer, but there are individuals who don't want, don't want it to be known that they had a book written by a ghostwriter. Yeah. So that appears nowhere, but that person clearly didn't write the book, doesn't have the skills to write the book, but was able to work with a person to capture the individual's voice and tone and story and make it happen. Well, and let's be real. There's probably also maybe people who are also maybe just really busy like myself, and I just don't have the mm -hmm. time to sit down and write it. And I can write. Mm -hmm. uh, clearly, I have blog articles, and we do show notes and everything else. But again, find the time to do it. So, And also, it sounds like even though you're a ghostwriter, there's still a lot of back and forth, right? You still have to, the author, aka the owner of the content, should still be consulted with and like, hey, how does this sound? How does this feel? And then obviously you're, you're probably playing a lot of back and forth, it sounds like, to eventually get to that end product. Yes. yes. Um, I recorded a session, a chapter today with the author. Uh, we're working on a new book called Negotiating with a Bully. So hmm. we started off with a set of questions, but it, then it turns into a discussion and I probe and ask additional questions that he had not anticipated I would ask him, but because he knows this content so well, it becomes a more free flowing dialogue. And that's what you get with a person who's working with you is helping you see something that you should cover or coming up with a new question that you hadn't thought of. Hmm. Interesting. So if there's listeners listening to this, because I've had, I've had numerous authors on the show and some have self-published. Some have not. Uh, some have actually produced a book good enough to be approved by a publishing company and all that. Mm -hmm. So uh, it's funny because there's a famous guy, Vinny Tortorich. He's been on two or three times. He wrote Fitness Confidential. He self-published, uh, but he didn't write it by himself. Uh, he, I, I don't have to look it up while I'm talking to you because he had a famous guy from Hollywood help him co-write the, uh, the book. Mm -hmm. But the point is, because he's not a writer, <laughs> uh, but his message—he wanted to get the message out there about the back, the you know, behind the scenes of the fitness world and his struggle through surviving cancer and everything else. So they say, "Hey, there's a story to be told. Mm -hmm. You need help getting it out there." Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Now, do you come across that often too, where people do want to tell their story and and then they just stumble across you as a ghostwriter, or how's that come about? The people that I've worked with are all people that I have met in person and have known from some other aspect of my life. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the women I'm working with now is a speaker, and I she did a podcast for my podcast called Legal Nurse Podcast, and then afterwards talked with me about helping her with her book. A couple of the guys I'm working with now were referred to me by another person. So I think it's it's essentially a level of feeling comfortable, feeling a level of trust, hmm. and getting to that point of saying, yes, the world needs to hear my story, and if it's up to me, it's going to stay buried in me, but somebody else can help me bring it out. Okay. Yeah, actually, uh, you know, real quick, I will share the screen again, but um, his co-author, as the image comes up here was Dean Laurie. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, I didn't know that Dean Laurie does stuff like that, but I believe he's like a famous screenwriter, I think, because he's in the Hollywood world. And this guy, Vinny Tortorich, is the trainer to the stars. He basically is a professional trainer, grew up in little old backcountry Louisiana. So, um, but power of your network, right? Knowing the right people. Dean told mm-hmm. him, hey, man, you got to write a book. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, Wonderful. It is, because... Here's the funny thing. We talked a lot about podcasting because you and I both spoke uh, at the MapCon event. And Vinny is one of those examples where they said, oh, man, let's write a book. But he's like, well, how are you going to sell it? Mm-hmm. And friends of his said, you should launch a podcast. And this is like five years ago. And he's like, well, what the hell is a podcast? <laughs> and, he's, yes. and they said, well, it's like it's a way to control your platform. You could talk about whatever you want. And if it's a successful platform and you give it enough time, you build followers. And then if and when you do decide to maybe create some products, maybe you self-promote it on your own show. And that's mm-hmm. kind of what he did. And mm-hmm. he's a best-selling author of that book. So Excellent. Yeah. So it's interesting because like I I never thought about writing a book. Obviously there can be if you are successful to you can gain a good financial return on it. Uh, but sometimes to your point, some people just need to get the story out there and if you could positively impact, that's this is how my brain works. If I could positively impact a few people from maybe getting a book out there, that's exciting, mm-hmm. right? To maybe mm-hmm. hear their words come back, their reviews come back in a positive light, that could be exciting. Yes, yes. There's a lot of stories that need to be shared. A lot of people who have done, well, unusual things like you have of going into burning forests and putting your life on the line to control fires. That's not something that very many people have ever had exposure to or would be able to do. No. And admittedly, you and I talked about this because I'm from the East coast. So I didn't even know about it until I met a girl who I briefly dated, who was going back to Nevada where she was from to go do that. And then I just became obsessed with learning about it for the next two years until I finally made the jump and went for it. Um, But when I went out there, I was like, you know, East coast people, we don't know about this unless it's on the news, but even if it's mm-hmm. on the news, you're not, you don't really know it. There's no behind the scenes videos or anything unless we share stuff on social media nowadays. Mm-hmm. And uh, I will say though, coming up, I think it's October or November, the first ever movie about Hot Shots is coming out. So it's actually going to be about the actual Hot Shots 19, who I knew who had passed away in 2013, the 19 firefighters who were burned over on a fire on the Yarnell Hill fire in uh, outside of Prescott, Arizona. So their base was about an hour and a half away from my base, and we fought on a lot of fires together. So, mm-hmm. but they they decided to bring in some major actors to write a movie about it. So now, this may increase knowledge of what hot shots are and what that lifestyle is. I don't know what to expect from this movie. I may like it. I may not. I don't. I don't know. So. Mm-hmm. Um, but maybe that'll help me inspire me to finally get around to doing something about a book. <laughs> it so, would be a great idea. Well, what's your advice? And um, people like, tell you what, use me for example, Mr. Okay, people tell me I should do it, but I don't really have time to do it. I'm sure there's other people listening to me right now. We talk about this on the show a lot about people are afraid to, to make a big change. And this is what I spoke about at MapCon, right? Embracing change for you know, lifestyle success because it may not happen tonight or tomorrow but you will eventually gain success out of making these changes and embracing the struggles. And it sounds like you've experienced this with multiple clients when it comes to book mm-hmm. writing. Mm-hmm. 
how do you speak to that? You know, I think if you allow yourself to be encased in fear of taking risks, which many people are, you'll have a very limited life. Hmm. We had an experience, which I think typifies this several years ago when we lived in a house with a, it had one bathroom in it. And our son's father was unemployed. He was a union carpenter. And we said, we need to have this bathroom renovated. You're out of work. We need to have the work done. This would be great. You can come and take care of this for us. So he said, okay, I'll do that. And then I said, and you know, the kitchen counters are really in need of replacement. Do you think you could replace them too? And he said, oh no, I'm not a general contractor. I can't do that. So he came to our house. He pulled the bathroom cabinet away from the wall. He pushed it up against the tub. And then he proceeded to come an hour a day for two weeks. He never showed up before 1030. And I said, how come you're not here working all day? And he said, I have to go down to the union hall because I have to look for work. Hmm. Now, meanwhile, work was sitting in our bathroom. And it finally got done. It was very inconvenient to climb over the counter in order to step into the tub. And, I, and we never hired him again, but I envisioned that he was in this lucite box. He could see the world around him. There was definitely a lid on this box and he knew his world and he wasn't gonna go beyond his world. And he wasn't even tuned in to our world and our need for him to get this done. Come on, you know, this is very inconvenient. I. And unfortunately, this is not something uncommon that I haven't heard before. I'm not, I'm not going to officially bash unions, but in the modern era, for example, I'm, I'm right here. I live in Allentown, Pennsylvania. Right next door is Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. Well, one of the largest corporations in the world was headquartered here called Bethlehem Steel. Their steel was used in World War I, World War II, Empire State Building, Golden Gate Bridge. I mean, you name it. They ship steel all over the world. Well, fast forward years later, the company doesn't exist anymore. And everybody was a union laborer and everybody was guaranteed a pension. And then all of a sudden, 10 years ago, the pension got displaced. So all these people who counted on that pension, even when the company folded, were still told they were going to have that pension. And that's gone now too. Mm -hmm. it, it really affected a lot of people. And we're only an hour and a half from New York and an hour from Philadelphia. But to your point, whether they liked it or not, there was blinders on. And that's just what they know. And people feel, people back in the day were trained and coached that the unions are there to be the warm and fuzzy protection. Mm -hmm. And admittedly, if you're in a hardcore industrial labor-based job, I get it. But nowadays, and people say, oh, well, you're guaranteed work. Well, you're only guaranteed work if that job wants to be a unionized job. There's a lot of people who don't want union labor. Some, some places are loyal and they do hire union labels. So I see your point. It's that person was all union all day, all along. And he was missing on all these entrepreneurial opportunities to make the money that he needed, but he was waiting for the union to come through and nothing was coming. Mm -hmm. And I think there are a lot of people who are not entrepreneurial. Only five to 10% of the population is entrepreneurial. But when you focus on entrepreneurism, 
you know a lot of entrepreneurial people, you think about starting businesses, you, you look at a situation and say, I could fix that. It's very heady. But the reality is that most people don't think that way. And, and they're comfortable in a job where they have a job description and policies and procedures, and they know what they're supposed to do. And if they weren't comfortable, you and I would not be eating because we need people who will bring the groceries to the grocery store and unload the groceries and put the things on the shelves. But this guy at a critical time when we needed him to be entrepreneurial was not able to. And that's what I took away from it, that I had to realize that my way of thinking and running a business and looking at the world is not shared by the majority of people. Hmm. You know, I have to agree with you. I've I've had to struggle with that myself, and because even myself, like I, I, over the years, I had struggled. Oh my God, do I take the risk? You know, do I try and do some entrepreneurial things? What are people going to think? People question me, like Scott. You know, you should be out there with a. I have a degree and I have a great resume. You should be, you know, running a company somewhere. I'm like, well, how about I just build my own? You know, yeah, or, and then while along the way. Along the way, I get to help other people build their businesses because they're my clients, right? Mm-hmm. They're, so it, the difference is I'm my own boss. <laughs> so it's interesting. I, I agree with your point that not everybody is wired that way. Or as I said in, our, in my, my conversation at MapCon is we're just all at a different place on the timeline. And that's something I've realized too is that maybe it's only 5 to 10% of the population as you hinted at. But also that five to 10% is also at a different place in the timeline. They've either spent the time doing the training or, or surrounding themselves with other entrepreneurs, or they're just getting started and they need podcasts like yours or mine to start getting their brains wired right. Mm-hmm. Is that one of the reasons why you launched your, your podcast? You know, I launched my podcast because I realized I was reaching a lot of people through the many books that I've written but I didn't have anything that was in oral form for the people who prefer to listen as an audio. I know people are, some people want to listen. Some people want to participate. Some people want to read. There's the three different learning styles Mm -hmm. and all of my material was either webinars or books. And I was missing out on people who wanted to listen while they were driving to work or cleaning the house or walking the dog. So it was essentially to provide knowledge in a different form. And then I realized that I could repurpose it for books, for podcasts, I mean, for blog posts, for other methods of getting content out to people. So it's like a cycle. Right. So besides, obviously, so you figured out, well, great. I I created that niche in that legal nurse world, right? Then you realize, okay, let's take some of the best practices. Let's take it outside of that specific niche. And is that basically what you're hinting at with the podcast and everything else? You decide to fuel that into the the patire.com site, which I'm sharing right now, because this is really you at, at its core, not not just nursing specific, right? True. This is my speaker site. And then the tab that's marked editing that is close to the woman's head is the page that describes my ghostwriting services. Oh, okay. So I'll have to dig deeper into that because I don't know if that was actually shared to me when you had uh, 
uh, applied to come on the show. So, uh, and I love to research people even deeper. So, and mm-hmm. I just want to learn more about ghostwriting. It's crazy. Like I've, this is, I, I told you at MapCon, this is not the first time I've heard it. And uh-huh. some people are promoting it now. And actually I know at least one person who does have a ghostwriter doing it for them and they're taking their, their time. It's, he says it's actually nice because they just, they talk once a week, they gather content and then they catch up again the week after. <laughs> mm, it's a great way to do it. Yeah, I don't know how you do it. I mean, is, there, is that one of your best practices? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, it's easiest, I find, for the people who have the knowledge to have a recorded conversation with me, and then the transcript gets turned into a chapter, and that's what I do, is take out the dialogue and smooth it all out and reorganize it and make it flow and turn it into a book. So that's a good point. Even if you don't have a podcast like I already have with a year's worth of content, you could just be recording a phone call. Exactly. Okay. Is that most of your clients basically? Yes. That's the pattern that I've been following so far. Okay. Yeah. I mean, who knows? This could be moving us closer to working together. <laughs> this is fun. Um, Cause I'm like, Oh man, like she could just get started by digging into all my podcasts and then. That's right. And then we just save the phone calls for when you have questions or there's something like sticking in your head and you want to dig deeper. Mm-hmm. We'll have to talk more about this offline. All right. <laughs> again, our listeners, guys, we're geeking out a lot about this stuff. But I think the big picture out of this, and again, I'm sharing her course site, which is patiyer.com. And again, all this stuff will be clicked in the show notes. But the point here is, if I had to sum up the whole show for myself, hearing everything today and what I learned about you at MapCon is, we're all capable of doing so much. It's just, where are you at? What do you want to accomplish? And are you thinking outside the box? Then, of course, adapting to what you had hinted at about a couple of minutes ago about what kind of learning style are you, right? The VAC method. Are you visual, auditory, or kinesthetic? I studied that uh, in the university. And then, um, hey, maybe you do have a book in you. Maybe you don't. Maybe you just have a small blog you want to launch. Or maybe you want to go audio like Pat and I and launch a podcast. The point is, at least think outside the box of where you're at today. Like you hinted, that gentleman was not thinking outside the box. He was still closed off in his union world. So mm-hmm. uh, that's what I got out of this. So, well, listen, Pat, I, I want to make sure that I'm getting you, you're reading back to me, but I, something I want to, and I, I want to make sure to hang tight when we end the show here today, but something I've always wanted to do for our podcast co-hosts is I want to give you the closing conversation, right? The closing comments, the closing thoughts to our audience, because if they forget everything else we talked about, but there was something they can hear from you in the end that would inspire or motivate them to, to follow you, and go to your site? Like, what is your mission? I mean, this is obviously not a sales pitch. This is like, what is your mission behind everything you're doing? What is the big picture? What are you trying to, I don't know, maybe leave behind to the world with everything you're trying to accomplish here? I would encourage your listeners to take a look at what they really want to do. If they are interested in expanding a business or starting a business, which is the world that Scott and I inhabit, do your research, but don't be held back by fear. There will be times that you stumble. We all have stumbled. We have all made mistakes, but it makes us stronger people. I would rather see you take a risk, do something that you really want to do than to be held back and to have regrets. Regrets will destroy your will. They'll destroy your mood. They'll destroy your happiness. And As I'm sure Scott has said many times, you're going through this world once. There's no return trip. Do what you need to do for your own 
happiness and satisfaction and financial security in this lifetime. Well said. Thank you. I love that. And I, the biggest thing I love, and actually real quick for as we close out the video feed and, and the audio feed for our listeners, guys, I'm going to share a site again, patire.com. Again, her other sites, her other social media will be all linked in the show notes. But the biggest piece that I really just is stuck in my brain is the no regrets. I mean, you have a lot of powerful words and all that will be notated in the blog content. But again, to our listeners, guys, no regrets. Pat just told you this. Okay. This is a woman with years of experience. She's been through the bottom and the top. <laughs> There's been a great story here that's been told today. So to our listeners, guys, that's Pat Iyer. Check her out at patire.com. And again, live with no regrets. So as we've said on every other episode of this show, keep living a fired up epic life. And we'll talk to you guys again soon. Hey there, Live the Fuel fans. Quick commercial break. Uh, before we close out the episode, just wanted to give you some extra tips and tricks before we send you on your way. So again, thank you again for listening to the Live the Fuel show. I hope you got a lot out of this recent episode. Uh, more importantly, please subscribe to this show if you haven't subscribed yet. Stay in touch. Get me some feedback. Submit a review on iTunes or Stitcher. And get us yet the voice of you, the listener, so we can build this content back into the show and make sure that I'm actually taking you, the listener, into this uh, design and future as Live the Fuel grows. So again, subscribe, submit a review, stay in touch. Heck, on that point, go visit livethefueltank.com. Livethefueltank.com. That will take you to the link to our private Facebook group community where you can join and I can stay more in touch with you going forward outside of the podcast world. All right, last quick little piece here for you guys, some extra value. One, Go to livethefuel.com main page. You'll see on there we have our free resources guide. If you are looking for free content and not having to pay for it, consider getting on my email list. You click on the button, send me my copy, get your Super 7's resources guide. There's over 21 of my favorite online resources that I've built into this little uh, electronic guide for you guys. There's no cost. It'll just be emailed to you just by hopping on my email. Again, just thank you for listening. I want to give you some value. Uh, second piece of my little extra nuggets of knowledge, if you want to call it this, is go to the resources section on the site. In there, I have three columns, health, business, lifestyle, and two right off the bat that I want to make sure you guys are taking advantage of is number one, eatpillynuts.com, and number two, villacapelli.com. Their logos are on the site. You got a big bowl of nuts there, and you got a cool big V, Power V logo. Both of those, if you use the discount code FUEL, F-U-E-L, you will get 10% off at checkout. So take advantage of that, please, and thank you. And more importantly, there's other companies linked on there. Uh, my nutritional and health alignment with Isogenics since 2010. Uh, the Pure Vitamin Club company for their kick-ass magnesium B12 and an awesome multi-cap. There's some additional business resources on there. Number one, Singularis IT. I go mountain biking and road cycling with the founder. This is a legitimate IT company. I don't care where you are in the world. You can use their services. We're talking about serious white glove level services. I've moved all of my IT solutions over to them, and I outsource them regularly for any future and onboarding clients down the road. And lastly, but not leastly, David Studio. If you have no clue who this guy is, guess what? He is my new audio engineer. This is the guy I've been having making it happen behind the scenes. I found him through the Fiverr world. So if you search for David, D-A-V-I-D, studio on Fiverr, you can track this guy down. But guess what? He's also on the Upwork platform. He's on the People Per Hour platform. You can search for him through his real name. I've never literally physically met this guy or talked to him in person. We have been just met through the online world. But if you search for E-M-I-N, that's I believe pronounced Emin and uh, Fikik, which is F as in Frank, I-K-I-C, 
You can search for him in Upwork, People Per Hour, or more importantly, just go to Fiverr like I did. But if you are a podcaster or somebody just looking to get quality audio engineering, this is your guy. So again, guys, I'll let you get back to your day. Thanks again for listening to Live the Fuel. We'll talk to you guys again soon. Thank you for listening to Live the Fuel. Visit us at livethefuel.com. Stay connected on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and more at Live the Fuel. Live the fired up epic life. Hashtag Live the Fuel.